0: This is Notoriously Episcopalian. My name is Kelly Hudlow. This is a podcast of sermons and musings all about the Christian faith and especially about being an Episcopalian. This is a sermon for Trinity Commons online worship on the third Sunday after Pentecost, June twenty first, 2020. The readings are the story of Abraham sending away Hagar and Ishmael in Genesis chapter 21, verses 8 through 21 and the continuation of the story of Jesus sending the disciples in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, verses 24 through 29. And of course, Happy Father's Day. I often tell people that I think I live on the best street in Avondale. Um, It's a particularly pretty street with the trees and a lot of the houses have front porches and Um, There's a real community amongst the neighbors that live kind of on this block of 7th Avenue South in Avondale. And one of the biggest stars of our block is a five-year-old little girl named Audrey. She is quite precocious. She is learning to tell jokes and has even begun to sort of pick up the art of sarcasm. But she has a real love for her neighbors and loves to get attention from us and we are very happy to sort of be spectators to the major milestones of Audrey's life. She has lived in this house her entire life. So we saw her mom walk up and down the street when she was pregnant with Audrey. And then after Audrey was born, her mom and dad took turns walking up and down the street, carrying her uh, to get her to quiet down or to take a nap. We've seen her start walking and talking, of course, learning sarcasm, which probably we don't help with that very much. She's a really sweet kid She likes to leave notes and give gifts for the neighbors. Um, She wants to make sure that she shares the things that she has um, that she's really excited about. And so when COVID-19 shut everything down, Audrey became kind of part of the, the, the street's daily routine. At the beginning of the shutdown, Audrey had gotten a bike with a set of training wheels on it. And so when her mom and her were sort of stuck in the house, when everything closed, usually right after lunch and then right after dinner, Audrey would come out of the house and get on this little bike with its training wheels and ride up and down the block. And eventually they would ride, you know, around the block and through the neighborhood. But it started out on on the block on 7th Avenue. And so you would hear Audrey, cause she talks, uh, she has got a big voice and, And it became a time that I would stop working and folks would come out um, and just kind of share in the joy of Audrey learning to sort of navigate the world on this little bike with training wheels. Now, even a bike with training wheels is kind of complex to learn how to navigate on because you kind of rock back and forth. Um, Our sidewalks aren't particularly even. And so Audrey had to overcome the fear of this sort of big bump In the sidewalk and she would get real scared and we'd be out there and we'd say you know you just got to pedal Audrey pedal 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 and she finally learned how to get over that bump and she got pretty good at riding her bike this past week Audrey decided that it was time for the training wheels to come off so on Monday she asked her mom to send a text to the neighbors so that we could come and be part of the moment of Audrey learning to ride her bike without training wheels. Her dad came over. We all assembled out in the street of 7th Avenue. There was discussion about, oh, you know, you need to put your feet this way and do we need to lower the seat or raise the seat? We figured out the mechanics as best we could. And then we did what you do when you're trying to get a kid to ride a bike without training wheels. Is mom or dad or me, some grown-up, would grab the back of the bike and we would run down the street with it trying to feel when Audrey kind of got the balance and then try to let go. Now once Audrey realized that this process was going to involve us letting go of this bike while she was on it, she started to get scared. And so then she started asking for assurances from her mom or her dad that they were not going to let go of the bike unless she was ready. She was really scared of falling and she would want to know, are we going to let her fall? Now the grown-ups involved in all of this are kind of in a weird place we can't promise any of this we can't promise that she's not going to fall and we actually can't promise that we're not going to let go of the bike while she's trying to learn how to ride it because that's sort of the whole point of what was going on so each kind of run down the street with her mom or her dad they would let go a little bit longer each time (sighs) Sometimes Audrey wouldn't realize what had happened, and so she would keep pedaling and wouldn't get that she was actually riding the bike. But then, more often than not, she would realize that her parents didn't have the bike and she would get afraid and she would just freeze. So just her little legs would go straight, she'd stop pedaling, and then of course, once she did that, she began to fall over on the bike. Usually, there was a grown-up there to catch her. One time there was not and she had a pretty good little tumble and that sort of brought the evening to a close. Fear is a very powerful thing and for Audrey, the fear of falling or the fear of not succeeding at learning how to ride the bike literally caused her to freeze. And in that moment, the fear stopped her from doing the thing that she wanted to do. And watching Audrey sort of learn to navigate this two-wheeled bike, it made me think about when I was a little kid, probably a little bit older than her, learning how to ride a bike without training wheels. I remember that I really wanted the freedom to be able to ride around the neighborhood with the other kids that were all a bit older than me. And the only way that that was going to happen was for those training wheels to come off. I was scared of falling. I didn't have the elbow pads, knee pads, and helmet that Audrey came out equipped with on that Monday evening. Then you were lucky if you were just wearing tennis shoes. I also remember it being the first time that I felt like I had a clash of wills with my father. My dad got out there and did what you're supposed to do. He told me where to put my feet, what was supposed to happen sort of mechanically with all of this. And then I would not listen to him or would try to listen to him and not pull it off right And so I wouldn't stay up on the bike and I would fall. And I got frustrated and my dad got frustrated. And at some point my dad just went in the house. And when I was left out there on my own, I did what kind of has to happen for a kid to learn a bike is I just got on the bike and I rode it. I didn't know how to stop yet. I jumped off in my neighbor's front yard. From watching my neighbor and remembering when I learned how to ride a bike, I've decided that teaching kids how to ride bikes is really weird right it's weird for the kid it's weird for the parent weird for the grown-ups they're involved because you want to protect the child but you know that the only way that they're going to learn to do this is to get through the fear of falling and to maybe even fall a couple of good times but to get back up and do it again it's sort of an inherently risky thing for a parent to decide to teach their child how to ride a bike without training wheels And the moment that the training wheels come off, it sort of marks the beginning of what's going to become an increasingly more complex relationship between the parent and the child. You're giving the kid freedom. The kid's figuring out that what you say doesn't necessarily work and they can figure out things for themselves. Sort of starts this, this, you know, it's a downhill slide to being a teenager into a rebellious college student, right? And you as the parent start the ball rolling with it. Our readings today are filled with very complicated family relationships. And they're also filled with people that are afraid. Sarah is afraid that conflict might come up if Ishmael stays in the household with Abraham. God had promised that Isaac would be the son to inherit. And as long as Ishmael was in the picture, there's the potential that he could make a claim on Abraham's inheritance. Abraham is rightly bothered by Sarah's request to send his son away. Ishmael was the child that was born when it seemed like God's promises were going to go unfulfilled. Abraham's afraid of what's going to happen to Hagar and his son if he just turns them away and sends them off. He has to make this incomprehensible decision to hand his son over to God and to trust that God will do what God says, which is, I will take care of Ishmael and a great nation will come from him. Abraham has to make the choice of being between being a father to Ishmael and providing for him and being faithful to what God has said God will do. In the end, Abraham sends Ishmael and Hagar away. He gives them some bread and some water But in doing that, he knows that he can't provide for them in the wilderness and that it will be up to God to make sure that they survive. It's this sort of reordering of life that we see in the story of Abraham and Hagar and Ishmael, this importance of trusting God over even our closest relationships, our best made plans that Jesus is talking about when he says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword for I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother. For a lot of people, these are really scary words to come out of Jesus's mouth. They don't necessarily make sense with what we like to to think and understand Jesus's message to be. These words are part of Jesus's sending of the disciples, commissioning them to go out into the world and to preach that the kingdom of heaven has come near, to heal people, to cast out unclean spirits. He doesn't send them out well-equipped, right? They're not much more equipped than Hagar and Ishmael are. He tells them, don't take extra money, don't take extra clothes. He doesn't send them out with particularly catchy phrases that will convince people of what their message is. Instead, he sends them out into the world and they must rely on God and on the communities in which they find themselves to offer hospitality. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat things. He tells them that the work he has given them, the message that they must deliver, will cause them to be persecuted and arrested and rejected. And he tells them that to be a disciple of Jesus means that all of the relationships that define us, relationships like son and daughter and mother and father and friend and sister, all of those defining relationships can no longer be relied upon. And if need be, must be upended to be faithful to the message and call of God. Jesus sent the disciples into a world that was built on power and wealth, a world in which the laws of the covenant that were supposed to establish relationship of God between him and his people had been abandoned or ignored to where the poor and the widow were not cared for and where both Rome and the temple thrived on injustice. And into that world, he sends out the disciples to say, go preach healing, cast out demons, challenge people to to put God back into the center of their relationship, even if it means losing their family and their status and who they understand themselves to be. The trick is, is when you preach peace, healing and abundance in a world of violence, death and greed, The response is normally going to be fear and resistance from the powers of this world. But Jesus says, have no fear. They call me Beelzebul, the prince of hell. They're going to call you much worse, but have no fear. Jesus knows it's a dangerous world that he sends the disciples into, and he knows that it's a dangerous message that he gave them, but he sends them out and challenges them to have faith and rely on God to provide for them and to protect them. Today, as the followers of Jesus, we find ourselves again in a world that is gripped by fear, violence, and greed. And Jesus is still sending us out to bring healing and to cast out unclean spirits. In an age of pandemic and civil unrest, we are again given a difficult task, just like the disciples were the church is called to again preach the kingdom of heaven we are called to again challenge the relationships and systems that define our families our communities and even what we understand the church to be itself the church and us are being sent to remind the world that god must be at the center of our relationships and that when we put god at the center There is no space for unjust systems that perpetuate violence. There is no space for power that is built on racism. And when we start pointing that out, we should expect that people are going to push back and to resist that. When we start calling for healing in places of death and sickness, justice in places of injustice and oppression, when we start casting out unclean spirits of racism and militarism and ecological exploitation, we can expect to meet conflict and rejection. And it is scary. But we hear the words of Jesus, do not be afraid. God is calling us to do hard things, but do not be afraid. We may see ugly things about ourselves, our family, our church, our country, but do not be afraid. We don't have all the tools that we need to do this work, but God will provide them. So do not be afraid. Do not be afraid because the God that heard Ishmael and Hagar crying in the wilderness and provided them water and made a great nation. The God that knows when a sparrow falls to the ground, the God that knows the number of hairs on our head, that God cares for us even now when we are sent out into this dangerous world. And the fact of the matter is, is even if we are afraid, it doesn't make us any less sent by God to do this work. That first night with Audrey Jane in front of the house did not end in victory. The neighbors after she went inside tearfully sort of thought that the training wheels might find their way back onto the bike and that it was going to be a little while longer before she learned to ride her bike without them. But then Tuesday came and another text was sent out to all the neighbors saying that Audrey Jane is going to ride her bike without training wheels. And so we dutifully went outside and lined up on the street and ready to be the cheering section. And this time when her mom got her on the bike, Audrey didn't say, don't let go, but she did say, don't let go until I tell you to. And she said, I'm scared of falling. Will you catch me? And her mom said i can't promise that i that you won't fall and i can't promise that i'll be able to catch you because i'm going to have to let go for you to learn how to do this but i do promise that me and all of these neighbors that you made me text to come out and stand in front of the house will be there to pick you up so that you can get back on the bike and try again so audrey gets on the bike mom runs down the street I don't think her mom actually waited for Audrey to say you can let go but her mom could feel that tonight was different and Audrey had found her balance and after a few times up and down the street, a couple of false starts, the next thing we know, the kid is riding the bike without training wheels. The fear that had frozen her to inaction the day before, she let go of and just kept pedaling. Just kept trying it again to where she could feel that freedom of actually being able to ride a bike on her own. So, do not be afraid. We are more valued than many sparrows by God. And God will provide for us. Amen.